from Romans 14, starting in verse 1. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but do not argue about disputed matters. One person believes that he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone judges every day to be the same. Let each one of you be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Well, thank you, Lance, for reading that. Um, As you look at this this topic, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to start with that passage out of Romans 14, because I think it helps us really in the whole series ask ourselves the question, why are we studying these types of topics? I still remember the first time I worked through this passage together, I was in a room of, of other guys that were um, training to to go into church leadership, and, and the guy brings out Romans 14, our, our leader, our mentor, and he starts going through this. He says, have you guys really wrestled through you know, what the Bible has to say about uh, issues that we might consider gray issues or disputable matters, uh, depending on your translation that you have? Uh, and, and then he walked us through this, and he said, really, there's, there's three categories uh, that, we, that we often fight or argue about, and one are just preferences things that really the Bible doesn't have anything to say about. For instance, what we wear on a Sunday morning when we come to church. Uh, some people will make a big stink about it, like, hey, you got to have a suit and a tie and that sort of thing. Others will be like, no, you know, it's fine. To, you know, we come wearing maybe what we normally wear. Um, and so we, we sometimes we use our own preferences uh, to, to say, hey, this is superior to, to something else. Or like uh, music choice. Like, you know, what kind of style of music and so forth does God like, you know, or something like that. So those are our preferences. The Bible doesn't really tell us what music style God likes. Then there's convictions out there. And convictions are those things that we might use Scripture to argue, but it's still not really firm. Like, you have a a follower of Christ that, that believes that maybe Saturday is a superior day or a better day or following the, the Sabbath to worship Christ. And then you have a group of believers over here that say, no, Sunday, Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so we, we celebrate on Sunday. 
And both of them kind of use Scripture and argue back and forth a little bit from Scripture why we, we choose the days we worship God on. So those are our convictions that we have. And that's divided, you know, churches over the years. And then there's absolutes. And absolutes are the things that there are just, there's no room for. You can't, you can't fudge on it. And so uh, we believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And faith uh, in Him alone is what saves you. And so that's an absolute that we believe the Bible teaches. So those are three different categories. And sometimes when we deal with topics like we're going to deal with today, you've got to ask yourself, well, what is it? Is it a preference? Is it a conviction? Or is it an absolute? What I grew up thinking was that all things I believe are absolutes, right? And, and when I go to the Scriptures, I want to know that I can find in this, this book something that is going to give me some ammunition so I can go out in the world and prove that everybody else is wrong and I'm right. And I can use God's Word to do it. And so it revolutionized my thinking when I went through this passage. I was like, oh, wow. So, so God says that for one person over here, he believes that one day is more important than the other. And this person over here, you can read it if you want to read it again and go through Romans 14. You've got a whole group of people over here that believe, no, all days are the same. And God says, well, both are right. If... They make that decision before the Lord. Hey, I believe that Saturday is the day I'm going to worship the Lord, and that person follows through with it. I believe Sunday is the day I'm going to worship the Lord, and that person follows through with it. Well, he says what's more important is that you make that commitment before God and you follow through with it. That's what Romans 14 is about. So I preface it with all of that because as you go through life groups, and one of the things I challenge you uh, as you go into life groups this week is read Romans 14. Because if you don't quite... Uh, have you really haven't kind of grappled with that whole concept? It'll be important for you as you go through life groups because you realize, oh, there could be something in your life group that believes one thing and you believe something else. And maybe both of you have some scripture that you might use to argue one way or the other. The important thing is, is how's that person's relationship with God? And that's really what we want to get to as we go through all these different texts and the different topics we're going to be going through. There's times we're going to talk about absolutes. There's times we're going to talk about convictions. And there's times we'll talk about preferences. But ultimately, we want to know what the absolute is. We want to be driven by that. And then you're going to be free to kind of develop those convictions. But you want to stand before God with a clear conscience that when you say, yes, this is what I believe is right, or this is what I believe is wrong, you need to follow through with those. So that's just a little preface into to how we're, we're moving forward into this, this series. And uh, we're going to get into tattoos, piercings, and temple talk today. Okay, and maybe some other pieces that come together with that. So uh, that's, that's where we're, we're going, and uh, I trust that it'll be maybe challenging to your thinking, maybe challenging to some things you've thought in the past, but ultimately, the goal through all of this is that it drives you closer to the Lord. It drives you closer to Him in your relationship with Him and your pursuit of Him, and by the end, you're going to go home, hopefully, saying, you know, I want to know more about what God's Word has to say. I want to know more about who God is rather than, oh, great, I have some great ammunition out there for the next debate. Okay? So that's, that's really the goal. Father, we, just, uh, we come and commit this time to you. Lord, we want to be faithful to your word, so guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I am making the commitment to you that I'm trying to approach the text as honestly as I can in every situation. Uh, of course, I grew up 
with certain presuppositions, and I'm going to come to a text, and I'm going to read into it a certain way, so I'm trying to approach it as honestly as I can. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. And as we come into a text, we're looking at God's Word. This is God's Word. And we want to approach it and ask Him to guide us and lead us. So that's what we're, we're talking about this morning again, tattoos, piercings, things like that, and of course the body of the temple. Argument against. So if you go to a person and you say, hey, what do you, what do you have to say or what do you think about tattoos? I'm going to pick on tattoos for a little bit here. What do you think about tattoos? And somebody may come up and say, well, don't you know that in the book of Leviticus, it says something specific about tattoos? And so you open it up and you go to Leviticus 19.28 and you start to read it. Well, here's something I want to challenge you with before we jump into it. Three things to ask yourself. And you're going to hear me say this a lot today and probably for the several weeks. It's going to drive you crazy. But if there's one thing you get out of this whole series, this is what I hope you'll get out of it. That anytime somebody comes and says, hey, this is what the Bible says and this is what you should be doing. I hope you say, what is the context of that verse? Because people will come and they'll throw a verse at you. And you need to ask yourself, well, what is God really saying in that verse? So I will always challenge you in any of these passages. Sometimes I won't give you the background, the context, because we've got a lot of verses to look at. But on the, the ones that we're really digging into, I'm going to look at the context and ask that question. What is the context of it? So we're going to be hitting that a little bit here in Leviticus 19. And then what's the original meaning? Hey, some of these were written like 3,000 years ago, you know, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. What's the original meaning to those people at the time? And then how do we draw principles out of that and apply it to today? So what's today's meaning? So Leviticus 19.29, let's take a look at it. Seems pretty straightforward. You are not to make gashes on your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am Yahweh, or I am the Lord. That seems pretty obvious, isn't it? And absolutely, if somebody comes and they give you this verse, they say, here's what the Bible has to say about tattoos. You read it just all by itself. You're like, oh, man, I guess I can't have a tattoo. In fact, I remember we were doing a youth trip. Uh, it was when I was a youth pastor, and we went to uh, Panther Gap, which is in Northern California. We were doing a mission there, and we were coming back, and one of the kids, uh, he was, I can't remember, he was like a junior in high school. He says, hey, hey, Ryan, I was just wondering, you know, one day I want to get a tattoo. What do you think the Bible has to say about tattoo? And I just kind of threw it out there. I was like, well, you know what? You should look up Leviticus. I didn't actually know this verse. You know, I was pretty young at the time. I was like, I don't know where it talks about tattoos. But um, I said, you should look up Leviticus. And so he takes his Bible, he pulls out Leviticus, and he, he ends up on chapter 19. And he starts reading through it, and he's like, oh. he gets to this passage. He's like, whoa, how'd you know that was in there? And like, and like he's thinking, I can't have a tattoo. It was kind of interesting, so we started talking through it, and I, so I remember this whole conversation, and I was like, well, again, let's go back and look at what the context has to say. So people will throw this out, like I say, if they want a, a debate or something, an argument, let's take a look at verse 28, what it has to say. Well, what do you think? First of all, look at verse 28, you are not to make gashes on your bodies for the dead. Now, oftentimes in Hebrew writing, you have parallel statements that are made. And I think you can reasonably argue that what he's saying here is you should also not put tattoo marks on yourself for the dead. Okay, that helps put it in a little bit of the context. Now, if you want to use this as ammunition to just say simply, hey, this is wrong, 
Then here's the challenge I want to give you. Let's go back to verse 27. Just one verse back. Okay? And let's see what it has to say. Verse 27, it says, You are not to cut off the hair at the sides of your head or mar the edge of your beard. Now, some of you are here are worried about tattoos. But I think you ought to be worried about your beards. <laughs> right? If you're going to take verse 28 and say, hey, you have to absolutely follow this, well, then you ought to be following verse 27 as well. And how many people here cut their beards? How many of you guys have sideburns? Well, not too many of you guys have sideburns. How many of you have your full beard? Okay, you guys have trimmed it, most of you, marred it a little bit. Okay, you are not to cut off. So what is he talking about? Why would God even put this in there, right? I think that's the question you have. So you go all the way back to chapter 19, verse 1. You get the whole context, I think. And here's what he has to say. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, Be holy because I, Yahweh, I, the Lord your God, am holy. When he writes this, he's writing to the whole nation of Israel. He says, nation of Israel, I want you to know that you are to be set apart. That's what the word holy means. You are to be a set apart people, set apart for God. And here's some things that you can do to set yourself apart. And then he gives a list of things to do, including the way you style your hair and what you do to your body. And so as you go through it, one of the things you begin to see is, okay, God's got certain ideas of what He wants for His nation of Israel, His people. And you can go forward, you see a couple of things He says here. He says, each of you is to respect his mother and father, so He gives one of the Ten Commandments. You are to keep my Sabbath. He gives another of the Ten Commandments. I am Yahweh, your God. And then He says, do not turn to idols or make cast images of God for yourself. I am Yahweh, your God. And he goes through and he says, these are the things you're to do. And he names off these three different uh, of the, the Ten Commandments. He says, these are the things. And then he gives you a bunch of lists and do's and don'ts and so forth. So as you go through it, you might say, well, why does God require that nation of Israel? And why doesn't he require it today? And why would God even require something like a haircut? And I think it's pretty simple. Today we do the same thing. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, oh, they have a military haircut? Our nation does the same thing. We have restrictions on how you are to wear your hair. God did it for the nation of Israel. It sets them apart. It puts them in a different category. People would say, oh, they're an Israelites. And then when you come to this, this section of gashing yourself or uh, putting a tattoo mark or an engraving on your, your skin or something like that, God's calling that out saying other countries do that because they're worshiping other gods by doing that. Or, like in here, you see verse 14 of Deuteronomy, or verse 1 of Deuteronomy 14, you are the sons of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or make bald spots on your head. I don't know why anybody would want to make a bald spot on their head. But don't do that on behalf of the dead. That's the context again. Not for the dead. Don't do those things. That's what other nations were doing. That's what other countries were doing. Instead of trusting God, they were doing weird things like cutting themselves, putting bald spots on their head, Engraving things on their, themselves. They were doing those to get the attention of other gods. It says, don't do that. So that's really the context. So when you consider all that, can you say with a clear conscience, a good conscience, yeah, Leviticus 19 is a great verse to tell us that we shouldn't get tattoos. I don't think it's a conclusive argument. So, where do we go from there? Well, 
That's our argument against. Let's look at the arguments for. Okay? There are people out there that will say, well, the Bible says that we can have a tattoo, and this is the reference that they'll often use, Revelation 19.6. Okay? It's a New Testament reference, which is always great because that makes it even easier, right? The Old Testament, ah, we don't live by that anymore. We live by the New Testament. So let's take the Old Testament and throw that aside. Let's, let's grab on to the New Testament. So let's take a look at what it has to say. Again, what's the context? What's the original meaning? What's today's meeting? Okay, so Revelation 19, we're going to start back at verse 11, and here's what it has to say. Now, if you're not familiar with Revelation, this is John. He was a follower of Jesus, apostle of Jesus, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and while he's there, he begins to have a vision of what's to come. These are future events. And so he begins to write, he says, Then I, John, saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Now its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war and righteousness. And his eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. And he had a name written that no one knows except himself. Now he wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. Now right there we get an idea of who it is. Uh, you can go to John. John wrote some other books in the New Testament. Uh, the Gospel of John is one, and he starts off John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so we know that the Word, when John talks about the Word, we know it's Jesus Christ. So here, when he says His name is the Word of God, he's saying, okay, His name is Jesus. Verse 13. Now verse 14. The armies that were in heaven followed Him on white horses, wearing pure linen, now, a sharp sword came from his mouth. Now, picture this, okay? A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it, and he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. People go, ah, look. There's a name, it's inscribed or written on his robe and on his thigh. Therefore, Jesus must have a tattoo, right? That's the, the conclusion from this. So, if Jesus has a tattoo and we know Jesus is our Lord, therefore, all people could or maybe even should, right, to be more like Jesus, have tattoos. There you go. All right. There's our argument for it. Okay. So, now what do you do with that passage? Well, there's a couple things. Of course, as you go through it, you've got to look at the context. What's happening here? I don't think this is an argument. The whole point of this passage is not to say, yes, Jesus has a tattoo, therefore you should have a tattoo. The, the point of this passage is, Jesus is awesome. Right? Because Jesus had fiery eyes, does that mean that you should have fiery eyes? Jesus had a sword come out of his mouth. I don't see you guys going around practicing that trick. Okay, this is to describe how awesome this scene is. Furthermore, Jesus is wearing a robe that has been splattered by blood. Are you doing that? And let's go a little bit further. If you were to, I don't know this is exactly the robe Jesus was wearing, but if you were to go back in time and you look at like Caesar and generals, they would wear a robe like this. Now, let me ask you a question. If, if you were wearing a robe like this on a horse, how likely are you to see somebody's thigh? 
So it's likely that really he had his robe on and maybe even a sash over it or something like that and inscribed on that robe or that sash might have been the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords or something like that. In other words, we don't really know that it was specifically inscribed or written or tattooed on his thigh. It could have been. It may not have been. Ultimately, it's not a conclusive argument for getting a tattoo. So, by the end of this, you're like, okay, Ron, you're pretty soft on this whole issue, right? Like, you're not telling me it's wrong, and you're not telling me it's right, so which is it? That's why we started with Romans 14. Remember all the way back at the beginning. It's going to be one of those things where God lets you wrestle with it, and you get to decide before your God what you're going to do. So what I want to do from here is really give you an argument from wisdom. And that goes to the body as a temple. You've got a couple passages to deal with here as we move forward. But 1 Corinthians 3 is one that people will often throw out there and say, look what it has to say. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that, that uh, God's spirit dwells in you? Then he goes on, verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Oh, well, putting a mark or a piercing or something like that, is that destroying God's temple? Cutting it, is that destroying God's temple? And those types of things. Well, context. What's he talking about? First of all, 1 Corinthians 13, if you look at the whole context, he's talking about the church. And here specifically, he's talking about how we're not to create dissension or problems in the church. We're supposed to be unified. And when he says you will not, we should not destroy God's temple, what he's saying here is you should not destroy the church. You can look at it. It's all plural there. He's talking about multiple people. It's hard when it talks about you because we, I think we, we sometimes individualize it and we say, oh, it's talking to me personally. But here when you look at the whole chapter, he's talking about the church. He says, no, we're not to destroy the church. We need to be careful how we care for the church. Everybody needs to be mindful that we're to be a body together, working together. Now you go to 1 Corinthians 6, and I think he does talk specifically about our bodies individually. So in 1 Corinthians 6, here's what we're dealing with. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary okay, of the Holy Spirit? That means the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you if you're a follower, if, you're a believe, if you believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, the, he, is a, he is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore... Glorify God in your body. So as you look at that passage, I think he is talking about us individually, of course, making up that whole body of Christ, but each of us is an individual uh, temple for the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6. So what's the context of chapter 6? Well, let's go back to verse 13, and that's where we get that portion of it. Here's what he has to say. He says, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is, is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the, sex, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And so that's where he brings in this whole concept of, of how we are temples. We are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, that's why we need to have purity. We need to not be going out and joining others uh, in, in sexual activity, because when we do, we're being unfaithful to God, and we're being faithful, unfaithful, obviously, if we're, if we're married, we're being unfaithful to our, our spouse. And so he calls us out, and he says, you guys need to be pure. And that really fits the, a lot of the context of 1 Corinthians, because it talks a lot about sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians. It says, be pure. And so really, in this context of chapter 6, you've got, uh, it's not talking about what we wear on the outside, about piercings or tattoos or our clothing or anything like that. At this point, what he's talking about is, is sexual immorality. So what kind of impact does that make on us? Well, I think there are some principles from this that we can draw out of it and really apply to ourselves as far as living closer and walking closer to God. And that's what I want to get to. So first of all, the thing we see from this passage is that our body is not ours. Now, I know that that's not something that's the world teaches. I know that may run contrary to your own thinking and your own thoughts, but I'm here to tell you the Bible makes it clear that our body is not our own. First and foremost, our body, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, our body belongs to Christ, belongs to Him. And one of the reasons we make some really foolish mistakes in this world is because we don't take some of the, the things we do before Christ. And say, what would you want me to do? And we need to do that with our bodies. God, what would you want me to do? Our body is not our own, it is Christ. Secondly, the Bible teaches, if you're married, that your body belongs to your spouse. I used to, Rebecca and I first got married, I used to tease her about that a lot. I'm like, man, you got, you know, the bad end of the deal. You got stuck with my body, but I got yours, you know. I'm like, I was, that's all the farther I'll go with that. But, um, you know, so there, our body is not ours. We need to really consider what we do with our body and how it impacts other people. Because, second point, really what we do with our body impacts more than ourselves. It impacts others. Now, I've heard the argument, I've, I've listened to people say, hey, this is my body, I can do whatever I want, it's somebody else's problem, it's somebody else's issue, if what they're doing is causing them to sin. Well, you need to take that before God. I would take that argument before God and say, you know what, let's see what God has to say about it. Now, sometimes you say, oh, that's, that's about women, right? It depends on what they wear and tight clothing or something like that. And you say, oh, it, it's the guy's fault. It's not supposed to be the woman's fault. Listen, there's guys out there that do the same thing. We've been watching you guys run down the road, right? And they're like all ripped and they're like no sh- shirt on. And they've like, they've like waxed their chest, you know. <laughs> you know, they're running down. Hey, that puts an image out there. And that guy, if he's a follower of Jesus Christ has to stand before God if he causes somebody else to stumble. And women, too, what you wear, if you're causing people to stumble, you have to stand before God on that. It's just what he says. Your body is not your own. It's his first. It's your spouse's. 
And so we've got to ask that question, what am I doing with my body that may impact others positively or negatively? I think that's a very good principle taught from Scripture. And the last one, what we do with our body ought to honor God, ultimately. That may be the space we occupy, even. Right? What you do with your time, where you take your time, where you take your body, what are you doing, where are you placing yourself that would honor God? What are you wearing that would honor God? What decisions are you making that would honor God? Verse 20 makes it pretty clear. It says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So are we doing that? Are we practicing that? I like how Peter has to say it in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. He says, your beauty, and this is in the context, okay, speaking to women, there are principles here I think that would apply broadly. So I'm, again, I'm jumping pretty quickly from context to, to principles. So you're going to have to trust me a little bit on this. But, but the context is he's speaking to women, but there are principles we draw from it I think that apply to all. It says, your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyle and the wearing of gold ornament or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of what is inside the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is valuable in God's eyes. And in other places in Scripture, men are challenged to do the same thing, to lead a quiet life, to be quiet and gentle. What's that? But not meager? Well, I mean, certainly we want to be honoring to God and how we approach people, how we talk to people. We need to do it with truth and grace. So balancing the two is a tricky one. And maybe that's even a subject down the road we need to figure out. Of course, I'm still trying to figure out how to balance truth and grace. That's, that's a tough one. But here you've got a challenge for us as we look and how we make decisions about who we are in our body. We've got to ask the question, is what I'm doing with my body honoring and glorifying to God? Or is it just honoring and glorifying to myself? And so when I get asked the question, hey, Pastor Ryan, should I get a tattoo or should I get, you know, a piercing for every year I'm alive or something like that? Um, what's the answer? And ultimately, I just have to, to, to direct people back to what's your motivation? Why are you wanting to get a tattoo? Why are you wanting to buy the latest, greatest shoes? Why do you want jeans with bling on them or something like that, right? What's the motivation? If the motivation is, is self, then I think we always need to go with a clear conscience before God and pray about that and consider it. At the same time, I also know that there are people out there that are reaching people for Jesus Christ in a way that I could never do it because they have tattoos or piercings or wear certain clothes or do things or have hairstyle or something like that that's different than mine. And they have a clear conscience about it. And I don't think they're doing anything wrong. So, ultimately, you got to go back before the Lord and ask that question. God, what do you expect from my life with my body? What do I need to do to honor you with my life and my body? That's the best answer I can give you on this subject. But I hope as you go out today and you think through this and go into life group that you're really wrestling with with some of those concepts, right? Like, God, 
what is right? What's wrong? And understanding when you make the decision, this is what I believe is right, that you, you're firm on it and you have a clear conscience, a clear conscience before God because you've take it, taken it to Him and you've asked Him and you've prayed about it, maybe sought counsel or anything like that. I'm here to tell you, if we did that in more areas than just this in our life, we'd probably make a lot better decisions, wouldn't we? So, ultimately, one other thing I'll... I'll say this and just close off. One of the things I want to make sure is clear as we go through this whole uh, subject on taboo, you know, in this, this uh, talk series, behavior does not establish your relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith establishes your relationship with Jesus Christ. Behavior comes after you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you let God help you you let Jesus Christ lead and guide you. You fully commit yourself to him and you say, what is the behavior you're asking from me? That's how the relationship works. And I hope you know that. I hope you understand that because I, I do want to make it very clear. We're not going through this so yeah, you guys have ammunition to go out there and tell the world they're all evil or wrong or something like that. We're doing this so that you can understand your relationship with God better and in a deeper way. So if you have more questions about that, feel free. I'd love to talk to you more about some of these things. Again, life groups, if you're not plugged into it, I highly recommend you get into that because that's some of the things we'll be talking about this week. That's what the life group is, is around, at least some of these issues. And you can work through them together, ask some of your questions there, and find out you know, what, what your group is, how they're, how they're wrestling through some of these things. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this time together. Thank you for just being able to walk through some of these, these subjects. Lord, we're looking forward to the next several weeks as we, we march forward and, and talk about things we wouldn't normally talk about in church. But God, as we do these things, we want to uh, ask that you will draw us closer to yourself. Help us to know more about who you are so that we can, we can become more, more like you. And Lord, also, may this in some way challenge us or equip us better to reach people for you. Maybe we have a better understanding of where people are at. Maybe we have a message that's, that's clearer now. Or however it works out, Father, may this help us be a better witness for you out in the community. God, all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.